Coming to you from the Bradstreet Observatory at Eastern University, it's Ask Science Mike Conversations. You've got questions, he's got answers. Even though we may not understand, he'll talk anyway. You've got problems, he won't solve them. But he'll talk and talk and talk until he's blue in the face. Science, faith, and life. Welcome to Ask Science Mike, the weekly podcast where I answer your questions about science, faith, and life. Doing things a little differently this week. For the first time ever, this show is going to be a conversation between me and my hero, Dr. Peter Enns. We're at Eastern University, had an event last night, tons of fun. Uh, do want to let you know I am still on the road on tour, so tickets are available for the next couple events. I'll see you in Nashville and in Columbus in the next two weeks. So go to findinggodintheways.com slash tour. We'll be selling tickets tickets at the door if they're available, but Nashville's going fast, so I'd recommend buying ahead of time. But with that, we've got a show to do, so let's get it started. So guys, this one's totally different this week. Uh, it's kind of like an Ask Science Mike Live, except there's our audience is just a film crew and my friend John Seal, uh, and, but I'm here with Pete friggin' ends, man. Like, it's probably that is my middle name, actually. <laughs> If you look at my birth certificate, that is my parents, yeah. They had a sense yeah. of humor. Anyway. I think yeah. it's weird for Pete, like, how excited I get to talk to him literally every time. But yeah. if you follow my story, if you've read the book, if you've listened to the podcast, you know that for me and for Michael and for, like, almost everyone we know who's kind of found their way back into the faith, uh, Pete's work is uniquely accessible to grounding people who've had trouble with their faith back into some form of Christianity that can incorporate the Bible, which for many of us is, uh, you know, very complicated. Yeah, I mean, the Bible can be a problem. The right? Bible if, can if, be a huge problem. You know, read it every day, every morning, and then when you do, you find a lot of things that you're not prepared for, like violence and issues of morality. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's it. The Bible can be an obstacle to faith, and it doesn't need to be. So in your previous books, uh, you've kind of, looked at the frames with which we approach the Bible and helped us understand some historical grounding and perspectives. But you've got a new book out, The Sin of Certainty, right? where you don't just talk about the Bible, although you do some amazing Bible scholarship in it, but you also talk about how our institutional approach to the Bible and the lens we approach the Bible with has influenced the entire structure of our churches, especially in Western Protestantism. Right, yeah, I mean, that's, that's sort of the big problem. The way the Bible is set up for people to read it for their own spiritual nurturing is one that really requires you to be certain. You have to know what you believe. And that, that can be a problem when you get to a point where, well, frankly, you just don't know what you believe anymore. Life happens, right? You have questions. You watch a movie, you read a book, and, and things get very complicated. And the problem is that then people are told you're broken and you need to be fixed. You're, you're, not, you're not a strong Christian anymore because you have doubts about your faith. And that's really the point of the book. You know, the sin of certainty isn't that, sometimes we feel certain, that's fine. But the sin of certainty is, is thinking that there's something deeply wrong with you and you need to get that certainty back no matter what and quickly. And until you do, you're sort of a second-class citizen for God. And that's just utter nonsense in the history of the church. And even within the Bible itself, you have a lot of voices of doubt and struggling and just, you know, not being able to understand what God is doing. Mm. So one of my, like, aha moments in the sin of certainty mm -hmm. is when 
you talk about our framing in church where we kind of come in, hear a lecture, and then literally go to school mm-hmm. and what that says about the purpose of our worship and our time gathered as Christians. Could you kind of talk a little bit about that movement in the book? Yeah, I mean, so much of the American Christian experience is church is a place where you learn facts or truths and to be sort of protected from the world out there. And so you have the right answers and you know where they're wrong. And uh, that sets you up for a problem later on. And, um, you know, from a very young age, you go to Sunday school and it's to learn things about the Bible and ultimately to be able to defend the Bible and to know why you're right and other people are wrong. And that sets you up for failure, I think, and for an unnecessary crisis when, again, you're just not sure. For whatever reason, you grow up and the world becomes bigger. People go to college and all of a sudden, you know, the faith of their youth becomes um, inadequate to explain the reality around them. And so they don't know what to do because they've been set up to have the right answers, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you don't have those answers anymore, faith explodes or dissipates or just fades away. that's a shame. That's unnecessary. But that's part of the American experience coming out of things like the 19th century where you have Darwin or archaeology or some other factors that sort of poked holes in things like the book of Genesis and science and all that stuff. And um, a lot of the American religious Christian experience is made up with defending the faith against those kinds of influences. And that's very tiring because at the end of the day, you know, we've got some things to deal with, with science and history and archaeology and things like that. And, and it's a shame where the faith is set up to keep things like that at a distance. It's so... Uh, <laughs> sometimes people talk to me and they said, where were you, you know, four years ago or whatever, five years ago? Mm-hmm. And I, I get so excited about this book because you kind of alluded there to this... Uh, the, almost unnecessary journey many of us end up on. Mm-hmm. If you kind of look statistically, you know, I grew up Southern Baptist, and they have the lowest defection rate of any major Christian denomination today. Really? That's interesting. But yeah. hmm. people who leave the Baptist church are more likely to become atheists mm. than any other denomination. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, if someone leaves a mainline denomination, if someone leaves Catholicism, they might find themselves in a different stream of Christianity. Right. But when hardline evangelicals leave, mm-hmm. they leave as far as they possibly can. Because it is all or nothing. It's right? all or nothing. You have a system of thinking where it is like a Jenga tower. You take a couple of things out, the whole thing crumbles. So nothing can be taken out, which leaves you sometimes defending things that people wind up realizing later on in life is very difficult to defend, such as the earth is 6,000 years old, right? Because the Bible seems to say something like that. Um, or all languages came as a result of a tower that was built and God confuses their languages. And I think the bottom line there, the problem really is not the Bible. The problem is how the Bible is understood and uh, not really taking seriously the context of you know who's writing this and when and why. And they don't have omniscient knowledge, but they're living in a particular point in time and experiencing God in ways that are meaningful and relevant for that point in time. Our job is to say, okay, what's our time like? How can we be a part of this stream of Christian tradition um, and, and embody that faith and embody Jesus, frankly, in the world around us today? That won't necessarily look the same as what they might have done, say, 4,000 years ago. Mm. So one thing that happens to me a lot mm-hmm 
is uh, someone says, okay, I, I listened to you, and I, I've been longing to explore the Bible again. Um, and so I went and I read all of Pete's books. That happens, like, yeah, relatively often. I said, but now what? I've read, I've read Incarnation. <laughs> I've read The Bible Tells Me So. I've read The Sin of Certainty. What other resources out there that offer, I'm hesitant to say better, but more open, mm-hmm. more uh, dynamic um, scholarship and study for popular audiences around the Bible? Well, I mean, in those books, I do give some hints about where people can go. So uh, I don't leave them alone. But it, it can be hard to find uh, people of faith who work for a living in, let's say, ecclesiastical institutions, who understand the problems, but who still write about it openly, because it can be sometimes difficult for them professionally to do that. But I would just encourage people to, um, to read anything. I mean, where do I go to, for the next step? Just read broadly, even if it's just reading the Bible with really good footnotes. Mm-hmm. You know, things like the HarperCollins Study Bible or the New Interpreter Study Bible or the Jewish Study Bible, which is an amazing resource for a whole different world of looking at these texts that's not affected by, let's say, fundamentalist or evangelical Protestantism. And just living with us. It's not, it's not a quick path to like, okay, now I, I two or three more books and I'm going to be there. If, if my books have helped people to sort of break the ice and move forward, just go, just sail, and just, just read whatever. And, and, and years to come, things seep in and they change how you think. And just to throw props at that, the Jewish study Bible, for me, amazing. I love those notes. Like, well, th- this here in Leviticus contradicts what Moses says in Exodus. <laughs> Next point. You know, right. it's like they don't like, just that's the just assumption. the way it is. It yeah. isn't like, oh my, well, they seem to be contradictory, but they're really not. You see, they're saying exactly the same. Now, I mean, that sort of violates common sensibilities when people read. I mean, the, 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 the gymnastics that we have to go through sometimes to make the Bible speak exactly with one voice all the way through, that's, that's one of the things that set people up for failure because they actually read the Bible mm-hmm. and they... You get to Genesis 2, and you say, why is this creation story different than Genesis 1? Right? It begins at the beginning, that, that, that tension to try to make sense of those things. And there are um, smart people who've been reading the Bible since before Christianity um, who have thought about this, and I think to sort of mine that wealth of information, like the Jewish Study Bible can do, and other good study Bibles, I think that, that's a valuable resource, reading the Bible along with decent aids that don't overlook what are considered difficulties in the more conservative world. So one question I get over and over and over on this show, uh, and I answer as an uneducated fool. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna, <laughs> we're going to take advantage of having it's a, my turn. someone's opinion who matters on the show. <laughs> answer this. Uh, if the Bible contains these points of tension, or, or, or some would even say contradictions, how can we believe that the Bible embodies divinity at all. Well, that's the offense of the Christian faith where divinity is incarnated. And some people say God risks things by allowing humanity to sort of have a hand in how God is perceived. And we have that in the Bible. So I think it's actually, it's a strength of the Christian faith to have a Bible that is as messy as it is, that actually reflects the uh, spiritual experiences of people in times and places, and having a Bible that sort of records that diverse journey of faith where different things are happening and different personalities are recording it, 
and they say different things about God. And you find yourself in your own journey actually seeing yourself in different parts of the Bible mm-hmm. depending on where you are, right? So um, I, the whole question is, I think, off-center. It, it, it's not getting at the, the beauty and the brilliance of the Christian faith, which is God with us. And I think the Bible sort of it illustrates that on every page. And we want to get it out of the earthly realm, right? And put it way up high someplace in the sky. And that's just not the way God does things, not the Christian God anyway. Do you have any advice for people who read your book and find it compelling, um, but feel some sense of fear uh, that if if they're wrong now, uh, they're going to go to hell? or, or the, Because the stakes have been placed so high mm-hmm. for people from... Uh, evangelical backgrounds mm-hmm. that there's beyond the mental layer uh, right. an emotional layer that has to follow and I think that emotional layer is not talked about enough and that's that that is the issue I think and my advice for people is to find others <laughs> that you can be honest with and talk to and I don't say this lightly at times it might mean for some people that to find another church home and again I don't say that lightly because people have social connections there too but to feel supported, to realize, I mean, it's a beautiful thing for people to realize, I'm not the first person to think these things. In fact, there are 30 people in my church who are actually struggling with these things too. And you feel more of a camaraderie and you don't feel so alone. And you don't feel like you're broken, there's something wrong with you, you need to be fixed. You're actually on a normal part of the journey of faith. And I think finding community is probably the key to doing that, even if it's just one person. That's a start. But not thinking that you're alone and isolated. And, and you have less fear, I think, when you talk to other people who are like-minded and who understand and have compassion for you. So, uh, Dr. Peter Enns, the smartest guy in the room everywhere he goes, well, in my opinion. Us, <laughs> That's why I added everywhere he goes. <laughs> if you're not following his work, you need to. Uh, just cut out the middleman. Whenever you ask me Bible questions, all I do is open one of his books. So... You need to go check out his books, especially The Sin of Certainty. Where's the best place for people to keep up with you online? Uh, on my blog, uh, PeteEnds.com. Also, The Bible for Normal People. It both get you to the same place. And I try to blog on a regular basis. And uh, uh, my books are up there, too, so you can order them if you want from the, from the website. And uh, I try to have as many guests come in and speak, too, so it's not just my voice. But that's the place. Right on. Thanks so much, Pete. You bet. Thanks. Well, you've done it. You've listened to another episode of Ask Science Mike. Uh, we need your questions on the show, so you can do that by going to AskScienceMike.com, where you can fill out a text question or record a voicemail for consideration on the show. You can also use the hashtag AskScienceMike on Twitter, YouTube, SoundCloud, pretty much anywhere. We'll find it and put it in the queue. Now, my patrons on Patreon pick the questions on the show, so A, I want to thank them for not just free labor, but negative labor. Will they pay to work? Uh, you guys are amazing. But if you'd like to help make this show financially possible, you can go to AskScienceMike.com, click on the Patreon tab. I want to thank uh, Greg Nordine for his work producing the show and making it sound so great. Andrew Galecki for pre-production work. And, of course, the theme song was written by the great Jeb Bodiford. Thanks for listening, everyone, and I'll talk to you next week. Bye.